0: I want you to imagine it's your birthday. And um, well, Liz is already imagining, she doesn't have to imagine, but. uh, (laughs) um, And you invite people to come out for the birthday, and uh, they bring prizes, and I'm sorry, they bring gifts. And they have, you know, they're talking among themselves, and they're having a good time, they give each other the gifts and they ignore you and walk away i'm not sure whether you've felt that ever but it seems like christmas sometimes is increasingly becoming that and i um, i was thinking what is that gift that we can bring to our lord what about the gift of gratitude Is that something that we can bring to our Lord? Now, I think it's important that we uh, define gratitude and what gratitude is. Okay, so let me give you a graphic definition of gratitude. It's the burp, burp, right? Burp of a satisfied and a content soul. I've lived in the Middle East for about seven years, and one of the things that they expect you to do when they invite you, those, you know, the natives there, the locals there, is to burp after they've given you a meal. It's the sign of satisfaction. Here's another one. Gratitude is a virtue. Gratitude is a virtue that leads to action. It's not just a thought. It's not just a feeling, but is a verb that leads to action. Just as gratitude is the queen of virtues, ingratitude is the king of vices. And John Piper had this to say, and gratitude is a form of delight that rises uncoerced from your heart. There's no coercion for gratitude. And that made me think, because if you know gratitude is commanded in the Bible, be thankful. I mean it's 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 a command, it's in the imperative. And so what, what is God saying? I think it, it, it is just simply this, that if our hearts are not naturally grateful, there's something wrong with the heart, it's good to pause and to ask ourselves, what's going wrong? It's not the act of gratitude as much as the heart of gratitude which is in question. Gratitude. And so this Christmas season, I think there's so much for us to be grateful about, especially for his son. God gave the very best of heaven. Oh, we are thankful for Jesus Christ. And so the title today is So Loved That He Gave, and that, where do you think I got that from? It would be John three sixteen. It's just think about it, right? God so loved the world that he gave. Love must give. You see, it's a love that gave the best. It's the love that blessed the undeserving. It's the love that impacted us for eternity. And so, if we are the recipients of such love that gave, then I think it demands three essentials. So, God willing, we want to connect with with these three over the next three weeks. But the three things of this, that we would be hardwired for gratitude. Second, that we would be channels of grace. And third, that we would be reservoirs of generosity. Gratitude, grace, and generosity. Those three things, because God so loved the world that he gave. And so today we want to see in the light of the Christmas story about, this, about gratitude, of being, being hardwired for gratitude. And what I mean by hardwired for gratitude is that circumstances or any of those won't trip our hearts from being grateful. You see, it's not, it's not like sometimes when you have these scotless mics and they don't connect you know, wirelessly and then you have this uh, static or whatever, but you're hardwired. That nothing can impact a heart of gratitude. So the question I ask myself is, like, why, why, why do I have to learn about gratitude? Why, isn't, you know, why do I have to learn? I, I think it is because uh, gratitude is not natural for us. So you think about those 10 lepers. Think about them. Lepers. I mean, they had no right to be in a social setting. They were isolated. And they're, getting, they, they're healed. And how many turn back? Just one. I don't know if that's the general statistic or if it's even less of people who are grateful for what we have received. It's not natural to us. You see, if, if gratitude is from contentment and satisfaction, we, we are not ones who are easily satisfied. We, we, we need more. We are built for more. We, we are not satisfied with the mediocre, with just the minimum. We need more. And so gratitude seems to be uh, impacted as a result. There is this um, Forbes study that was done, and the irony of this is in, in the study, they found 71% of people are not thankful during Thanksgiving, they're saying what is there to be thankful during thanksgiving It's a time of stress, and uh, I think even Christmas is increasingly becoming that, isn't it Here's another reason uh, here's from from science and studies you know it's called gratitude is the superpower and I refer to science only because You know, it's increasing, it's interesting how science does this. God's Word has said this so many times, and so long ago, and so, so many times, and now science comes in and grabs that as if something that they have said because of research and study. I want to say, what they found eventually is what God's Word has already said, but listen to me as I read this, all right? This is an article. Built for gratitude, build your gratitude brain. It says, Build your gratitude brain. They say there's new neurons in the bones, in the marrow of our bones, make their way to the brains for distribution as they are needed. And this process of cellular renewal happens uh, till we die. And gratitude helps our brain distribute that really well. So, gratitude really impacts and helps our brain. Second study, what gratitude does to your brain, it says, that, the title of that article. It upgrades your hormones, including oxytocin and cortisol, and those are the ones that you feel good about, because it increases blood flow and activity in the hypothalamus, which, con- which is the master gland that controls the hormones. There's also something called the gratitude intervention, That just be a therapy of gratitude, which helps your physical. But we as Christians, we are saying, listen, we're not being grateful just because it helps us in the physical. But we've been blessed with the spiritual. Like, what else do we need? What else else do we need to be grateful if not the fact that we have God himself as our father? That we've been blessed with every spiritual blessings. We have received what the, what the heavens, uh, the best that the heavens can offer. And yet, our gratitude gets tripped up pretty soon. Because of unpleasant surprises, uncontrollable circumstances, or unexpected bends in the road. Something that happens that trips us, that we didn't expect. And there is this bend in the road that we, we didn't see. And so we are tripped up. Our gratitude is tripped up. And so with that in mind, I'd like you to turn with me to, to Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We want to look at three characters today. And if you will keep your Bibles open, because as we read those references, I would like you to read them aloud with me so that you can be in the story with me as we look at that, right? So so keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1. And the first character we want to see is the praying Zacharias, the praying Zacharias. So if you will look at verse 13, I'd like you to read it aloud with me as I read verse 13. Okay, all of us together, chapter 1, verse 13 of Luke. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. I don't hear you. Okay. Uh, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Praying Zechariah. Look at verse 6. He is called righteous and blameless. Um, Zecharias. It was expected of the priests that they would marry within the Levitical tribe. And so, Zacharias has found for himself one of the daughters of the descendants of Aaron. And what about his character? You see, Elizabeth was barren. It was expected at that time to have children. And that if you if you don't have children, people would assume that there is some secret sin that's causing that barrenness. And so what people would do, they either divorce their wife and remarry or get, them, get for themselves another wife. It, it might just be that Zacharias' friends and family would be looking at him and says, is there some secret reason, so, something, something that we don't know that God is upset with him. And it's tempting, therefore, to take things in our own hands. But we see him as a man of character. In verse 7 we see that they are both advanced in years. They've grown together in spite of their situation. They've remained married. But he is also a man of word. I love this fact that when you get to the Benedictus, which is where Zacharias is an automatic praise about what God has done, if you will turn to 67 or 79, we won't read the whole of that, but this is where the Benedictus is, where Zechariah prophesies. And, and we see that as you, as you read through later, I'd like you to do that, the grasp of the scripture. He knows his word. But we also saw that he was a man of prayer. He was a person who was praying. So that's Zacharias. But then when his prayer was answered, Gabriel said, God has heard your prayer, and he's surprised. So I asked myself, like, you were praying, and then you're surprised that God heard your prayer. What were you praying for, Zacharias? What were you praying about? Were he praying for a son? Then his response is odd. Was he praying for the redemption of Israel? Because as Simeon would say, uh, as he came into the temple when uh, the Lord Jesus was brought in for, for, on the eighth day, he, he says, uh, my eyes have seen your salvation. We read about it in, Acts chapter, uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 30. And then Anna She gave thanks to God and said to all the people who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We don't know exactly what Zechariah was praying for, but his prayer gets answered in both. He gets a son, and there's this joy of the redemption of Israel that is drawn nigh because his son is going to make straight the path of the coming Lord. But I want you to imagine with me the thoughts of Zacharias. This is what I would have thought, I guess, if I was Zacharias, and I'm heading back after my service in the temple is done, and I'm heading back to the place where I live. And I say, I got to see, I got to see Gabriel. Even in my mind, I thought I should have reached out and touched him, but I was so fearful, I couldn't. Why, 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 why did I doubt why can I just take that as God's word? Poor Elizabeth, what am I going to tell her? I can't even tell her of all that I've saw. There was this time that I even thought that I might just get myself someone else. And thankfully I didn't. But I just can't wait for those nine months. When Gabriel said, "I'd be joyful at the birth of my son," Gabriel has given these five things. Five things. He said, "One, that I'll be joyful at his birth; that he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb; and that I need to take care that he doesn't uh, drink wine or strong, strong drink." And that he's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and that he's going to prepare the way for the coming Lord, the Lord is coming, you know the joy that would be his as he as I think it could it would be his as he's as he's walking back home. the Lord is coming, but that is just. Me thinking aloud, right? But I don't want you to notice his response to the bend in the road. Something that it happened unexpected. What he didn't expect. And what was Zechariah's first words when, he, when his mouth was opened? I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 68. And I'd like us to read this together. Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Luke 1, 68. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. You see, his first words were not about the fact that he has, well, I'm a father now, I'm a father, I need to go tell everybody. But his joy is about the Lord. His excitement as he opens his mouth is about the Lord. Uh, In our grateful heart, notice two things. It has the right perspective and it has the right priority. A right priority because the first thing is God. It is him who needs all praise and all glory. A right perspective because it's God who has made it possible. And so, therefore, his heart could rejoice. A grateful heart comes because of a godly priority. Not self-absorption. Not because I have this entitlement mentality. Me, me, me. But he recognizes that unless it is God, that it is to be about God, the right priority. That is a secret. You want a grateful heart? Make it about God. A heart that has the right perspective and priority for the Lord and the things of the Lord that expresses is the th- are the things of the Lord. Uh, let me read that again. It's the heart that has the right perspective and priority for the Lord and the things of the Lord that expresses true gratitude to the Lord. Praying Zechariah. But I also want you to think about the pregnant Mary. Pregnant Mary. She was pregnant before she got married. The Jewish marriage custom was in three parts. The first is the promise of marriage, in that the uh, agreement can be broken, it can be informally canceled. Then you have the second, which is the betrothal. This is where they get into a formal covenant, where the husband-to-be would have given a bride price to the family and then you have the third part which is the actual marriage day where this groom to be would go and bring his wife home and joseph and joseph and mary were were on the stage 2 and the gap between stage 2 and stage 3 is because either the bride is too young or the groom to be needs time to prepare his home Uh, or maybe financially not stable, whatever the reason, or sometimes the gap may be even about a year. But during that time, the marriage is not consummated. Mary, in this case, continues to live at her parents' house and Joseph, where he was, and he continues to live there. But now Mary is pregnant. Talk about a bend in the road. Mary. Think about it. You see, Gabriel meets her alone. Mary does not have the opportunity of company. If the parents were there, Mary could have thought, it would have been so good, I would have had some witness. Or if Joseph was there, it would have been so good. But you see, Mary does not have the luxury of a witness. Gabriel meets with Mary all alone. That's a bend in the road. What's her response? Chapter 1, verse 38. Would you read with me? Chapter 1, verse 38. 138 together. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I'm the servant of the Lord. So Mary departs to go to Elizabeth's home because Gabriel had said that she is uh, expecting too. And then, having got to Elizabeth's home, I want you to hear the Magnificat, as it's called, Mary's praise. Turn to Luke chapter one, verse forty-six to forty-eight. 46 to 48, read with me again, it'd be good. I want you to look at your Bible, look at your Bible, open your Bible, read, because it's important, please. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You know, as you read the Magnificat, the three things that come out. One, she knew her scripture. You see, sprinkled out here are all words from Psalms. And and this Magnificat has got a very similar uh, uh, annotation to that of Hannah's prayer. She knew her scripture. And then she knew the character of her God. If you read from verse 50 to 55, it talks to her, talks to us about her, what Mary knew about her, about her God. Then it also, the third thing is she knew about herself. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I need God as my Savior. She knew God's word. She knew the character of her God. And she knew who she was. The three essentials that come together in Mary that should be part of us because that would lend itself to good gratitude of the heart. You see, Mary took comfort in the fact that she knew her God and the character of a God. Not in the unknown future. And she looked at this bend in the road that God had brought as a privilege. I'm your handmaiden, as she says. May it be according to your will. Gratitude. A gratitude that comes... From a heart that knows the Lord and his character. That stays grateful in spite of the unexpected bend in the road. Praying Zacharias. Pregnant Mary. Now what do you think about the pondering Joseph? Pondering Joseph. It's interesting. We don't hear a peep. From Joseph. No words of what Joseph has said. And this is what God had to say, God's word had to say about Joseph. We read about it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. I'll read it to you, and it says And her husband, or betrothed to be, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put it to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. But as he considered these things, what rich. Expression of his character. I want you to notice he was a just man. That's what God's word says. He wants to do what is right by God. And so he thinks through and he's not a vengeful man. He, he, he doesn't seek out a financial a punitive, punitive retribution because he's been shamed because it's about him, you see, in, the, in, that, in that world that he lived. It's about him. He could have demanded money, he could have demanded her life. And he had that right under Mosaic law. But think about it, he's now in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem with Mary and Jesus. I want to check out how long it is, how far it is between Bethlehem and uh, Nazareth and Bethlehem. There are, there are various figures given out. So I did a Google search. I said, Bethlehem, Nazareth, what's the distance? And this is what it said. If you go by car, it's 156 kilometers. It takes two hours and two minutes. Google is pretty precise. And you get to go on the Yitzhak Rabin Highway, or Road 6. If you take the bus, it'll take you three hours and 22 minutes. And you can start at 1219, which is about 10 minutes ago. You missed the bus, but you get there at 342 this afternoon. You'd have to take four different buses, and you'd have to do about two kilometers of walking. But if you go walking, it takes 33 hours. And you can go via Route 65. <laughs> you can be very sure that route didn't exist 2,000 years ago. And he didn't take the bus. He didn't take the car. We don't know how he went. We, you know, are the imageries that we have is Mary sitting on the donkey. And it could be. But I want you to imagine with me about Joseph. Because this is what gripped me. me. If, I, if it were me. You know, as that silent night was rent with the cry of the Messiah, I would have kept Mary comfortable, but I would have had to step out of that stable just to clear my thoughts. Wanting to know, is this the way it is to be? I think everything, I did everything that was right and was expected of me. Is this how God planned it? The the Messiah, the promised one lying in a manger with sheep and donkeys. And that census required by Augustus Caesar, like why at that last term when Mary was about to give birth to a baby. If, if I had a dream, if I had, if, if I had known six months ahead, I would have come to Bethlehem. I would have come and made ready a place. I would have been ready to receive this Messiah. Should I have left her at home? But then if I have to take her as, take her as my wife, she needs to be counted with me as my family. I'm not sure if you realize, but but Joseph taking her as Mary during census would mean extra expense because it's a poll tax, that you have to pay tax on the number of heads that are in your family, irrespective of your income. If you have two, then you have to pay for two. If it's three, you have to pay for three, and with Mary along, and probably, possibly Jesus, not sure whether he would be taxed at this point, but... I've heard of prophecies. I heard that God had promised the Messiah to come. He had planned everything. He would have definitely planned for a room in the inn, at least someplace, but not just the manger. I wasn't even ready to take her as my wife because I, you know, my house wasn't ready, and here I am. But one thing I knew... I'll obey. And obey, I will. The Messiah is born, and we are just two of us in a strange town miles from our family. I wish I could dream again, but my sleep is gone. I I can't, I don't know. I don't know if you've stood where Joseph stood. Not outside the stable, but probably outside of your house, outside of your university dorm, outside of your, outside of the car by the road, outside the emergency road, uh, emergency room. I'm not sure where you have stood and pondered about what you have done, what things have happened, your circumstances, whether they have turned out right the way it ought to. And you questioned yourselves again and again. You just pleaded to God, Lord, show me, show me desperately. And as you look up into the silent night, there was no response from heaven. What do you do? What do you do when things don't turn out the way you played in your head a million times? What do you do when your dreams are shattered or altered? What do you do when the, when, when the God of the universe, he intersects himself into your life? What do you do when you feel trapped in your circumstance, in your situation? You want to get out, but don't seem to have the ability to get out. I want you to know you're not alone. Max Lucado says there's an quote the Bethlehem sky is not the first to hear the pleading of a confused pilgrim. Situations that bring to us these. bend in the roads that are unexpected. How did Joseph respond? Again and again in silence. Each time God allowed a turn in his road, he bank-turned his will to match that of God. I'm not sure whether you got the imagery, but it's like this. If you you have that, you know, if you're on some of these roads, you can see that very clearly. But as the road turns, it banks. It can't be flat because it'll topple. The road has to bank, and so that helps you turn. And Joseph does that each time there is a turn in his life. So that it avoids so that your life doesn't topple. One of the verses that really I cling on to is Psalm 9419. Psalm 9419 says that when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations, O oh Lord, cheer my soul. Being hardwired for gratitude. That nothing will upset, nothing, no situation, no circumstance will topple. Think about Zechariah. Remember Zechariah? He had his priority right, he knew that it has to be about God. Think about Mary. She knew the person of her God, the, person, the, the, the character of her God. She knew the scripture. She knew, she, she, she knew who her God was and who she is. And you think about Mary. And I think about Joseph. He persisted. He didn't have the privilege of the angel himself coming and speaking to him. It was based on a dream. Colossians 2, 7 says, I'm going to read that to you in the New Living Translation. It says, let your roots go grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Roots down in him, lives built up on him, and a faith that is strong will result in a heart of gratitude. Gratitude. And obedience at all cost. And so, when the road bends, let me give you two more references. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse sixteen and eighteen. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in in all circumstances, give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. We are not here, uh, you know, uh, uh, we're not thankful for, but in, because we have a God who is in control. Ephesians five nineteen and twenty. Make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be, being thankful. We started out by saying, "What is the gift that we would want to bring to our Lord this Christmas?" We said the first thing would be gratitude. And I guess you all agree with me. But I want to give you some more. Uh, I want to call some of these the the anti-gifts. That's the term that you will come across during see- this season quite often. It's an anti-gift where you're not giving a gift to someone else, but you give a gift to yourself. It's called the anti-gift. But I'm talking about a gift that no one else wants, but only Christ is willing to take and able to take. The first one is bring him your guilts and your fears. Your guilt and your fears. You see, guilt and fears, they keep the windows of our soul closed so that we can't see the grat- with gratitude the glories of Christ. Bring to Him your fears and your guilt. Bring to Him your pride. You see, because pride does the most damage to our, gra- to our grateful heart. It burns up your countenance of grace. Bring to him your plans and your deepest hopes. Because I want you to know, he knows better than you. So bring, bring it to him. Bring to him your broken rela- relationships. Your heart will be filled with gratitude because he alone can offer that friendship that's unmatched. And he will bring to you friendships that he approves. Bring to him your cynicisms and your discouragements. Because he will lighten and heal your heart. That's the first step to a grateful heart. Bring to him your health concerns. Bring to him your time. Bring to him, be excited about him, saying that I'm excited to spend my time with this king and knowing more about him and knowing that it's only him that thrills my soul as we sang this morning. And lastly, will you bring the gift of yourself to him because he brings the gift of himself to you and he, every Christmas is that reminder. And your heart will be lifted in such gratitude that nothing in this world can take away, nothing in this world can dampen because it is from God himself. It's out out of this world. May that be true for you. Father, we thank you that this Christmas season there's so much that we can be thankful about. And we pray that unlike Peter who looked around and saw the storms of our life and feared that we will sink, we pray that our hearts would lift up in gratitude for all the goodness and all that you've been and for the greatest gift that we have received, the unspeakable gift in Jesus Christ. May our hearts, therefore, be hardwired for gratitude because we have a God who gave and gave the very best. And this afternoon, Lord, we give of ourselves and we pray that we would be, therefore, the most grateful because our life is head in Christ Himself. We thank you for answering our prayers. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. And all God's people said, Amen.